And good morning to the rest of you. I'm so thankful for God and his goodness. Really am thankful for Rick and Starla and the blessings that they have been in so many of our lives. And, you know, it's always an interesting time when, when one of our pastors moves or resigns or does something because it's a, it's a big change that takes place, you know, in our church. And, and sometimes, you know, there's, there's not just things that aren't being done that could be done, but, you know, there's whole new ways that things need to be done and whole new ministries that need to be started and all the things that kind of sometimes make us anxious. And so I, I'm praying, and I hope you're praying as well for God to lead us through this change. But, but part of what we need to realize is that, you know, there comes a time in our life where trusting God should mean something. You know, it's not just when Pastor Rick is resigning. I mean, we're going to have to trust the Lord in some of those things for sure. But, I mean, we, we often sometimes look at our lives and look at our future and look at all these other things with uncertainty and we get nervous and we, we sometimes complain or we're sometimes just, I don't know, dishonoring to God. You know, there's going to be a time where and should be a time today where we come to Jesus and we go, He's enough. I mean, there's, there's no reason in the world to move past Christ. It doesn't really matter what you know. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter what you, you know, have determined to, to be your intellectual level. That stuff doesn't matter. I mean, there really is a reason to trust Christ. And here we are drawing near to celebrating Christmas and you know, we should be celebrating Christmas and we should, you know, experience the joy of getting family together and having meals together and eating together and have special worship services and decorations and all those things. But, but man, for many of us, Christmas is about some baby, you know, some feeling, some emotion, some little baby in a manger. And we think it was all this sweet little, you know, peaceful, nice thing. And that's all Christmas really is to us. Or Christmas really is to us just getting together with family. And, and I love to get together with my family. Our family's gonna get together. But, but that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the Lord God Almighty taking the form of a man and entering into the world to save us. Christmas is about a work of God. Christmas is about this glorious occasion to worship the living God. It's not about all these kind of funny, emotional, cheap things. But, but isn't it true that many times we, we'd rather cling to kind of the cheaper things than go deep enough with God to have a real faith in God? We'd rather cling to the cheap things that are easier and less costly and seemingly more certain because we can hold on to them than the faith that we have in God. You know, truth be known is that God made promises to us in the Old Testament. Promises. He made covenants. He, he determined to do some things in our lives that were fulfilled in Christ Jesus and and when you see him fulfilled in Christ Jesus, there's, there's strength and there's hope and there's surety and certainty and reality. 
And I hope we get that this Christmas, the foundation that we have to stand on forever. So turn over to Genesis chapter 12 with me this morning. And we started last week a little sermon series called Why Did Jesus Come? And last week we talked about he came to destroy the works of the devil. This week we're going to talk about Jesus came to bless all the families of the earth. And so Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word that you've given us that reveals your plan and reveals your purpose and reveals your promises and reveals your covenants and all the things that you have given to us that we might know who you are, that we might have faith in you, that we might have life and hope, the forgiveness of sins, the security of eternity, and the, the vision, Lord God, the reality of life in heaven with you uninhibited, unhindered by sin and death and brokenness and sorrow. You're such a good God. You've been so merciful to us and you want us to know you. So for those that don't know you here as Savior and Lord today, pray that today they'd be saved. For those of us that confess you as Savior and Lord, I pray that we would know you more than we've ever known you before and you reveal yourself to us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this pretty incredible passage of scripture. I mean, last week we did talk about Jesus coming to destroy the works of the devil, but we we started in Genesis chapter three where God is talking to the serpent after he's deceived Eve and after she's eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and died and after she shared it with Adam and he ate and he died. And we talked about this promise that God made that one day the seed of the serpent would strike at the heel of the seed of the woman, but the the seed of the woman would crush his head, stomp that serpent, serpent, right? Overcome the works of the devil. And we talked about how just how the devil even still today has influenced our world, our society, our city, even sometimes our home with just evil, just general evil. And I know we don't like to talk about that stuff, and yet there it is. It's all around us. It's impacting us. It's influencing us. It's influencing our schools. It's influencing our churches. It's, in, it's influencing our jobs. And the hope is, is that Right, God has promised and God has accomplished through Christ Jesus this victory over the devil and over his works, over the things that have come about because of evil. And hallelujah, those of us that know him, right, we've overcome through Christ Jesus. Well, we continue with this incredible plan that we see God bringing about. By the way, one of the things that I love about the Bible is it's continuity. I don't know if you've thought much about the Bible, but you should. And you should think about it sometimes in the full broadness of the Bible, right? We started with the most tragic event happening after the glorious creation. And that tragic event was Adam and Eve sinning against God. And it was disastrous. I mean, 
Guilt entered into the world. Shame entered into the world. Death entered into the world. And evil was unleashed on the world. And we see that and we, we should be devastated because quite honestly, it still happens today. Right? And, and really what happened was Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And what happens is you and I still rebel against God. And so we still have these things that are taking place in our world. And it's still devastating. But we then see God in his in incredible mercy. I mean, mercy and love making a plan to save people from their sins. And it started with Genesis 3.15. Where are the seeds going to overcome? Well, then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and we're introduced to this guy named Abram. And we don't know much about Abram. If you'd go back to chapter 11, we first find out about Abram and his family in uh, verse 27. We're introduced to his wife, Sarai, and then we find out in verse 30 that Sarai was barren and she had no child. And then we find out that that Terah and his sons have moved to Haran. And then we come to chapter 12, this guy that we don't even know much about, and we realize that now God enters into this man's life in the most incredible way, right? It doesn't say that Abram was necessarily seeking God. It doesn't say that Abram had a plan to bless all the families of the earth through his children. It doesn't say any of that stuff. Verse 12 or verse 1 just says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and so forth. And I absolutely love this. I mean, I love this because it's not a hard concept, but it is a deep concept. And this simple concept is that God is working in this world to save the world from sin. That's the concept. It wasn't Abram's plan. It was God's plan. And for you and I to begin to see the continuity of the Bible and how God made this plan and fulfilled this plan, is going to fulfill his plan, is hope for our lives. Because quite honestly, if we look small sometimes and just look at the circumstances around us, they can be a little overwhelming. Can't they? Anybody get overwhelmed when they take their eyes and pull it into the smallness of life and how hard that is rather than looking at the fullness of God's promises and the pictures of what he's already done and what he will do? So God enters in. He chooses, if you will, this guy named Abram. And he says some pretty significant things because he's God. Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. And all of us go, amen. Abram, you should do that. That's no skin off our backs. Everybody should follow Jesus as long as it's not us, right? Because, you know, it's not really practical anymore to follow God, right? Do you think it was practical for Abram to leave his country? I mean, his country, his people, his culture, the place that he knows and understands, the language that he speaks. I mean, if you've ever been overseas at all, you know that when you go into a foreign country, if you're like me that is, you know, verbally challenged, linguistically challenged, 
you know they talk funny in those other foreign countries. And you can't understand them even if they talk slow to you. It's, it's shocking. It's not normal. And not only that, but they have different food in those places that you're not used to eating. And then they have different customs that you're not used to in those different countries. I'll still never forget the first time we went to Zambia. I had Aaron Rodolph with me and Nicole and a couple other people. And we were tasked with painting. Just that. Just painting. Because they didn't really trust us at all. They didn't know us. So don't talk to us about deep things. Paint. We need you to paint. And we painted. James helped us paint. But Aaron got so upset because the Zambians didn't necessarily trim around windows and doors as neatly as Americans do. And I mean, Aaron is upset. He's like, Mike, that's not how we do the job. We got to do the job better. You know, a professional would do it better. I mean, Aaron was about this tall, I think, at that time. He was young. He's feisty. I'm like, Aaron, quit. We are not in America anymore. And I said, just let them paint. Let them paint the way they want to. And he was unconvinced and unimpressed by my wisdom until we went to a house that was, it was fairly nice house. And we sat down for a few minutes and I look over at the baseboards and the door trim and they're not trimmed out nice. They're just kind of on there, you know. And, and I said, Aaron, see, I told you, man, these people are not worried about that. It's a different culture. I mean, God said to Abram, leave your country. That's a huge thing. It'd be huge for us to know that God would ask us to leave our country. Rick and Starla moved to Bolivia on their first assignment overseas. You should ask Rick about Bolivia. He's got incredible stories. And they're crazy, crazy stories. And then they moved to Colombia, which was a very calm place. During the time they were there, they were killing and kidnapping missionaries. And in the neighborhood that Rick lived with, they'd get up in the morning and find bullets laying in their little foot pool or kiddie pool that they had in their backyard. It was easy to leave his country, right, Rick? They went to Panama. You should talk to Rick about his stories. I can't tell all his stories. They had a, they had a Thanksgiving in Panama where they crawled around on the floor with no power because they were overthrowing the country at that time and it was dangerous for them to pop their heads up. Easy to leave your country. Go forth from your relatives. That's your extended family. Aunts and uncles, cousins, so forth. Leave all the people that have been a part of your life, had friendships, invested in your life, helped you become the person that you should become. Leave all them behind and leave all the security and the wisdom that they have for you behind. And then he said, leave your father's house, which would have been the most personal thing to leave because in the culture that they lived in in this day, literally the father was the patriarch of the family. He would have overseen the mother and the, the boys and the girls. As the girls grew up, if they got married, they would move into their husband's family and there would be a patriarch and he would kind of oversee them. The husband would oversee them, take care of them. The sons would then live under their father until he passed away and they would receive their inheritance. And many times they would farm the land together and work the land together and they would have security financially and security emotionally and physically. But no, you're going to leave your, your country, you're going to leave your relatives, you're going to leave your father's house and you're going to go to a land that I show you. And all of us go, 
Is that, is that, is that really possible? I mean, quite honestly, what God is saying to Abram is what he says to every single person that he's ever called to faith in Jesus Christ, which is you're going to have to have a deeper allegiance to God than you do to anyone else in this world, including your family or your country or your father's house. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to love him more than you love anybody else. It's an all-in kind of call because that's who God is. If you're going to love me and follow me, it's all in. And so he says to Abraham, you're going to have to follow me all in. And he doesn't even tell him where he's taking him. Can you imagine? Just start walking and I'll show you where you are to go. Man, he's talking about having a relationship with God that's based on faith, based on what God says he's going to do in your life and nothing more. That's exciting. I mean, that's exciting. To think of a life that you trust God so much that you don't have to know where he's taking you or what he wants to do in your life or how he's going to accomplish that in your life, but you know you've heard from God and you're going to follow him because he is trustworthy. That's what faith is all about. And as we'll see later on, Abram is literally becoming and will become the father of all who have faith. And man... God says, I'm going to do something through you, Abram, that's not, it's not by you. You just got to trust me. And so he says, go to a land which I will show you. And then he gives him some promises here. I will make you a great nation. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I mean, how, how many of you want to be a great nation? I don't know if I want to be a great nation, I wouldn't know how to become a great nation. And I would be asking the question that Abram had a couple of times for God, how am I going to become a great nation when my wife is barren and I have no children? How's that going to work? But God says, I'll make you a great nation. Oh, no, by the way, Israel, Israel, the great nation that God has made out of his people and several others because, anyway, I won't go too far with that. He says, I'll bless you, which means I'll give you finances. I'll bless you materialistically. And if you read through the book of Genesis, Abraham became so prosperous that he and his nephew Lot couldn't pasture their flocks together anymore and had to separate. And Abram was a filthy, rich man. And I'm not trying to be mean. He just was crazy rich because God gave him blessings. And he said, I'll make your name great. In other words, your name will be revered for what I do through you as I do my work in you. And he says, and so you shall be a blessing. How humbling. I mean, truly how humbling that God would say, I'm gonna make you a blessing. To the place where he says, and I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And one of the things that we need to see just in this story, but in the life of those who want to follow God is that God says, when you, when you believe in me, I have a purpose for you in your life and I will make you a blessing. It is one of the greatest privileges that God would ever give us to be a blessing to others. But we also want to see how much God is for us. God says, I'll bless the ones who bless you, Abram, because I'm with you. 
and I'm for you, and I got a purpose in your life, and I'm working in your life. Now bless those who bless you, but he also says, I'll curse those who curse you. Those who are out of step with me and those who are opposed to my will and my way in this world, as I accomplish my purpose through you, I'll curse them. Man, you ought to begin to see as God does his work how passionate he is for his work and how passionate he is for his people that are serving him and begin to get a picture of how good God is for us and all God wants to do through us. And guys, I hope that we begin to change this understanding of you know, who God is and how it is to follow him. I would say that by much more than 50% of us in this room actually believe that following God somehow is going to bring more damage to us than blessing. And it's a ridiculous belief. It's a ridiculous belief. Following God brings his presence and his blessings and his joys and his powers to us and to those around us. Well, finally, and the focus that we're going to have this morning is what he says to Abram in the last part of verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And man, it wasn't like Abram could do any of the other things. He couldn't, couldn't become a great nation on his own. He couldn't become rich on his own. I know that I laugh at all these people that tell us how they've become millionaires and how they've raised themselves up and made themselves, what nonsense. There's many, many, many more times people that have tried to do all that and couldn't do it. So everybody ought to be thankful for whatever it is, right? Abraham wasn't going to be able to do any of these things, but... This last one, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I mean, how many of you would actually love to be a blessing to every family on earth? I mean, at some level, I would actually love to be able to do that, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't care where I go. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your circumstances are. I don't care what country you live in. I would want you to know Christ. I would want you to know Forgiveness. I would want you to know hope. I would want you to, if there's a way somehow you could conjure it up in your efforts and in your wisdom and your resources, that you could bless every family on earth, man, I don't know why you wouldn't. But I can't do that. Can't do that. It's not possible to be done. So how in the world could God say in you, all the families on the earth will be blessed. Well, let's, let's see. So as we go on with Abram, God makes this promise to him. But, but Abram, like us, has got to learn. God's willing to teach him. Abram's 70 when God comes to him, tells him he's going to have a child. But he's 100 when he has a child. God's patient, 30 years and you talk about biological clock ticking. That thing had sprung its, its wire already. He was past time, but God had something he wanted to teach Abram. So look over at chapter 15. Because in chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, read along with me. God again comes and speaks to Abram. It says, after this, these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given, and Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. 
Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then Abram believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And so now we see another progression of what God's doing in Abram's life. And and God again comes to him and says, you're going to have a child. You're going to have an heir. You're going to have many blessings. You're going to be greatly rewarded. And and Abram says, how am I going to be rewarded without a child? And quite honestly, in those days, they, they understood that really the blessings that they had were their children, their heirs, that their name could be carried on and, and, and they could bless their kids and so forth. And so Abram's wondering, how am I supposed to be blessed? And by this time, he's plenty wealthy, has plenty servants. He's, he's not really needing anything, but how am I going to have reward without a child? And God says to him, Just go outside and look up to the stars. Now, we're blessed to live in Wyoming, right? Don't try this in Casper. It's fine in Casper. But get outside of Casper somewhere in the middle of the night and just look up at the stars on a clear night. Can you count them? I mean, they are glorious, aren't they? But you can't count them. And that's what he's telling Abraham. He says, listen, you're going to have an heir. And your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky, I'm going to do a work in your life. I promised you I would. I've started a good work in you. I'm going to finish the good work. Pay attention to what I'm saying. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now imagine that. He's standing outside. He's looking up at the stars and he goes, I believe you. I believe that my descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in this sky. I believe you, God, and my wife can't have a baby. Now, you talk about powerful. I mean, he's bringing Abram to the place where he's moving away from his understanding. He's moving away from his wisdom. He's moving away from his control. and He's putting his faith in the Lord God Almighty to do what no one could possibly do. And wouldn't it be exciting if that's how we lived our life as individuals? Wouldn't it be exciting if that's how we lived our life as a church? Wouldn't it be exciting for us to have a faith that says God can do what we can't possibly fathom him doing, but just leave it there. God, we believe you. That's faith. And so anyway, he credits it to him as righteousness. Now read along a little farther with me. Verse seven says, and he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And Abram said, oh, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So, okay, still growing. God says, I brought you out so you could possess this land. It was going to be Israel's land always. It's still Israel's land, going to be his land. But Abram's like, how shall I know? Have you ever asked God? How do I know you'll take care of me? How do I know you'll answer my prayers? How do I know you'll be faithful? You ever ask God that in your unbelief, in your struggle to fully believe? I think most of us probably have. Well, God says to him, I want you to bring me a a heifer. I want you to bring me a female goat. I want you to bring me a ram. I want you to bring me a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And so 
Abraham brings those things and God says, cut them in half. So he cuts them in half and lays them opposite one another to make a pathway between them. And then in verse 12, read along with me because this is sweet. It says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now let me say this. I'm not really going to address those verses, but you should read those verses. God not only says to him, look, Abram, I'm going to give you this land. But God says, I'm in control of all the future of all your descendants and of this land and of those that are in this land and how this is all going to work. I'm in control. Don't you worry. But then in verse 17, it says, and it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And man, I love that verse. Because here's what was taking place. God had had him bring these animals and cut them in half and lay them in opposite each other. And it sounds really gross and really gruesome, and to some degree it probably was. But when you made a covenant with somebody back in Abram's day, you made a covenant realizing that it's not inconsequential and it's not insignificant that you're making a covenant. And so they would literally sacrifice an animal and they would lay that animal in pieces, signifying that what this covenant is based on is significance, real. And then the two people that made the covenant would walk in between those two, those two halves of those animals and say, we've made this covenant, it's binding even unto death, and we're in it for the long run. It was significant to them. But do you notice what happened with God here? Only a, a steaming cauldron, if you will, and a torch went through it. Those things represented God. So these things that went between these pieces was God going through and God saying, I'm making this covenant and it's not based on you being in agreement with it. It's based on what I'm going to do in this covenant. And so Abram was left out. It was one party covenant and God says, I'm going to give you this land and God says, I'm going to make you a great nation and God says, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and I'm going to make you bless all the nations of the world through you. I'm going to make it happen. God makes the covenant. Man, you guys, you and I, I don't know what we could do to find a stronger encouragement in our relationship with God than to see God making a covenant that says it's not dependent on you, it's solely dependent on me. And salvation is that way. Salvation is not based on works. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? It's by God's grace and God's 
plan of salvation has always been based on what he was going to do for us, not on what we're going to do for ourselves. And he's telling Abram, you want to know how you're going to possess this land? You want to know the answer? I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a commitment to you. And when I make a covenant, I make a commitment, who is going to break it and who's going to stop me? That's how we know. Man, you and I, we have so many questions about life. We have so many questions about death. And we have so many questions about good. And we have so many questions about evil. We have so many questions about heartache and heartbreak and the brokenness in this world. And we think that because we have so many questions, we can't really know if there's truth, if there's life, if there's hope, if there's security. And it's not true. The way we know there's hope and security in this world is by the promises God has made to us that he will not break because he cannot break them. He cannot deny the things that he said. And he hasn't. Man, it is so good for us to begin to realize the promises God has made and how he's fulfilled them, especially at Christmas time. Because honestly, if you treat Christmas time as cheap as most people do, you don't even find any satisfaction at Christmas time. Because at the end of the day, you're going to get together with a bunch of people and you're probably going to overeat. You're going to have a headache by the end of the day and all you want to do is take a nap. Right? That's not your house. It's my house. I mean, they could be crazy. I have so many grandkids now that we have so many presents sitting around our, our tree that present opening time can be a little anxious. Like, holy cow, how long is this going to take? But you know, that's pretty cheap, isn't it? Is there a reason to really worship? Is there a reason to be secure? Is there a reason to have hope? Well, in chapter 17, God comes back to Abram. We're not going to read this. But he changes his name to Abraham and he goes through his covenant again and he he gives a covenant sign of circumcision and tells Abram to circumcise the males in his family and the males in, in his company. And Abram does all those things, but he reiterates this covenant that he's made with him and tells him, your name is going to be Abram and you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abram's growing. And then we get over to chapter 22 and God has given Abram a son. The son's name's Isaac. Abram was 100, Sarai was 90. There is never, has never been a time when a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman have a baby apart from God. We know it's far, far past childbearing years, and yet here's this son of promise. And now Abram knows God, Abraham knows God, Sarah knows God in ways that many people have never scratched the surface of because they've walked with God and seen God's faithfulness all these years and now they have a son. We come to chapter 22 and God says to Abram, Abraham, take your son, your only son, gather up some wood, take a knife, get some fire and go to Moriah where I will show you and sacrifice your son to me. And 
there are a few places in the scripture that are more overwhelming to me because I'm forced to think, do I have that kind of faith in God? Do I know God to the depth where I could take one of my children or now one of my grandchildren and trust God to the place where I would sacrifice them for God? And I've heard so many Christians say, I'm out. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. I'll never, I would never, I could never. Which only tells me personally that, man, I gotta have a relationship with God whereby I would. And whatever it takes for me to have that relationship with God, I need to work on. So Abraham takes his son. They're going up the mountain where God has shown them knife, fire, wood. And Isaac says to his dad, Dad, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says to him, God will provide the sacrifice. He'll provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And they walk on and they get up to the top of the mount and Abraham builds an altar and he ties up his son he lays his wood on the altar and then he lays Isaac on the altar. And Isaac's 12, 14 years old. He's not a kid. He understands. At that point in time, when his dad's tying him up, he understands. My dad's going to sacrifice me. Sure enough, Abraham lifts a knife because he trusts God. Do you see if you don't trust God, you don't lift that knife, you don't take that boy, you don't make the journey, you don't come close to obeying God. And when he's got the knife held up and the angel of the Lord tells him, stop, stop. Now I know, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son. And Abram looks around, sees a ram caught in the thickets. He lets Isaac go. He offers this great sacrifice. And then the Bible says that Abraham names that place the Lord will provide. Because God has shown him something about God and who he is that Abram had never seen before. And that is that no matter what the circumstances is and no matter what God asks you to do, when you follow, God will provide. You want to know God? You've got to follow him. And you've got to follow him by faith. You will not come to know God if you won't follow. And it's got to be by faith. It can't be by your own way and your own will, your own intelligence, your own desire. You've got to follow by faith. Well, we get on down in Genesis chapter 22. We come to verse 15. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And if that wasn't it, that'd be more than we could imagine. But then God says again this time in verse 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
And God isn't saying that all of his promises were based on, on Abraham's obedience because he's already given the promises. He's already made the covenant. But what he's saying is, is because you have walked faithful with me in obedience, then I'm going to continue this blessings that I promised in your life to the extent that you are going to be the man. You're going to be the man that I use and that I bless. And all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through, this time he says, your seed. And we see this great progression from chapter 12 where God introduces himself to Abram and calls him out and says, through you, all the the families of the earth will be best to this place where now God says to him, because you've obeyed and you've walked with me and you've been the man I've called you to be, says, I'm going to bless every nation on the earth through your seed. And now we see the plan coming together. Right, it's not just this generic plan. It's not just this, how am I gonna actually bless all the families of the earth or all the nations of the earth? God has a way to do that, and that's through his seed. Abraham's already said, I'll make your seed numerous, your heirs numerous, but this is a little different because this seed is talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. And the word of God shows us it's talking about Jesus. Look over at Acts chapter three, in verses 25 and 26. Acts chapter three, verses 25 and 26. It said, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant, talking about Jesus, and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Acts chapter 3 is Peter's second sermon after the day of Pentecost. They've gone into the temple to worship. There they see a beggar who's been crippled. The beggar asks for money. Peter says to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this guy stands up and starts walking. And all the people gather, and Peter starts preaching a sermon to them, and he comes to this place, and he says to the Jews that have been gathered in, in, in Jerusalem, you're the sons of the prophet. You're the sons of the covenant with God, which God made with Abraham. And he says, and this is what he promised, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. We just read that. But then he clarifies, God did this first for you by raising up his servant, the seed is Christ. And he raised up that servant to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. How was God going to bless every family and every nation through Abraham? He was going to take that descendant of Abraham, that seed, that one, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and he was going to turn people from their wicked ways that they might return to God and have righteousness and holiness and forgiveness and life. That's how blessing comes to every family and to every nation. It comes through Jesus Christ. And it's incredible to me. I mean, this, this promise that he made a couple thousand years earlier is now coming to fruition through Jesus Christ. He's the one. You and I, we treat Jesus like he's insignificant. We treat Jesus like he's a mere afterthought. 
We look at Jesus as if he really can't do something for us and as, he, as if he can't really bless us and as if he can't really change a nation. And that's not what the word of God says. God said, I'll bless every family. I'll bless every nation of those who turn to Christ, turn from their wicked ways and have life in Jesus Christ. But God didn't stop just with the, Gent- or with the Jews Look over Galatians chapter three, verses six through nine. It says, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. That's significant, by the way, because the Jews say they're sons of Abraham, therefore they have a relationship with God. No, it's those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham, faith in Jesus Christ. And then it says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Isn't that a powerful verse? The scripture says that God preached the good news to Abraham. What was preached to Abraham? That he would bless all the nations of the earth. How would he bless all the nations of the earth? Through his seed. And so God's bringing forth his promise through Jesus Christ. Then it says, so then who are of faith, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. But look down at verse 16 of chapter three of Galatians. It says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. That is Christ. Are we secure in the promises of God. The promises that God gave in the Old Testament, are they secure for our lives today? Did God promise to bless every nation and every family on earth through the seed of Abraham? Yes. Did he do it? He most certainly did. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want you to know that God's word is as secure in every other area of promises that he makes including the future, including heaven, and everything that comes with that, including judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come? Why did he take on flesh? Why was he born and laid in a manger? To bless every family and every nation on earth. Can you name anyone else? that could do that? The answer is no. There's only one Savior. Man, we're entering into this time of Christmas. We're entering into this time. It should be about worship. It should be about giving God glory. It should be about being thankful for all that Christ is. It should be about Jesus. And I don't know your traditions at Christmas. But if you don't take time to worship, if you don't take time to praise him, if you don't take time to sing to him, if you don't take time out of whatever traditions you have and make it focused on Jesus, then you're really missing it. As he's worth it, isn't he? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, grateful for your word but I'm grateful Lord God that 
that your word is, is not just good for us, but it's secure, it's sure, it's proven. You've proved it, and we can trust you. And Lord, I pray that for those that have never trusted Jesus today, that, that they would trust in you. You came to bless every family and every person, every nation, and you do that by drawing us to salvation. You gave your life. You rose from the dead. All that needs to be done has been done for us to be saved. We just, just have to believe, and I pray that you give each one of us faith to trust you. Lord, as we go into this time of remembering your death through the Lord's Supper, help us, Lord, be thankful and humble, and may you be honored in it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.